Hi, everybody. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And you're listening to A Date with Dateline. This episode is another repeat because people are still slaloming. Slaloming. Is that a thing? Did I make that up? Salome? (laughs) The opera? Salamandering? (laughs) What are you? What's going on? I don't know. I don't know. Shalom. They're shaloming. I have no idea. On TV for the Olympics. So we picked an episode called Killing in Cottonwood, otherwise known as the episode where Keith gets into a fight with a lawyer. And it's awesome. Wow. It's so good. And also an episode where you rewind one part about 50 times to try to figure out a certain piece of information to see if you're smarter than everyone else. Right. Exactly. Interestingly enough, this is season 22, episode 16. There's another episode in season 22 called Secrets of Cottonwood Creek. So two episodes in the same season with the word cottonwood in them. It's very confusing. Don't be confused. No. So this aired on January 3rd, 2004, hosted by, of course, Keith, who found that lawyer very hinky. Was she a DA or just a prosecutor? Because somebody referred to her as the DA at one point. And I'm like, we're not told that she's the DA. We're told she's the prosecutor. She might be the DA. I don't know. Okay. He thought she was hinky. I'm trying to get a squeeze in hinky. And what was the other word we learned from Keith last week? Buffaloed. Her motives were hinky for sure. Yeah. So we are in Redding, California. You have an association to Redding, California? I've driven through it. Yep. I think I went to a tennis tournament there a couple of times. It's in that middle armpit area. <laughs> right. That middle of California that... People think all of California is the same. And then you go to Reading (laughs) or Fresno and you're like, no, it's not. It's different. Well, Keith says it has a middle America feel. Correct. And it's a whole different lifestyle from the California reputation that, quote, blares of technicolor from the Botoxed and TMZ narcissism 600 miles to the south. Who hurt you, Keith? What's going on? I think he's talking about me. I felt personally insulted, I have to say. We are from L.A. I felt like Keith. And you're an Orange County man, Keith. So you should not be throwing stones. Something happened to him before this episode that made him disgusted. And I want the whole story. Something that TMZ did to him. They were trying to talk to him after a restaurant and he's very shy and he didn't like it. And that's where all this is coming from, maybe. And we don't even get to ask our question, was that shade? (laughs) It's not, we don't even get to ask. It's just full shade. But it usually, Dateline, it's shading the town that the crime takes place in. This time it's shading, it's using the town to shade another town. It's using the cottonwood tree to shade <laughs> with its leaves, all its shadow, anything that hits its shadow. Mm-hmm. There we go. Keith, blares of Technicolor from the Botoxed and TMZ narcissism. I went, oh, out loud. Oh, <laughs> like I'd been pinched, like someone pinched my arm. Honestly, though, can confirm. 100% can confirm. Well, that's why it hurts because the truth hurts and no, nobody wants to admit it. Now let's move along. <laughs> so we are in 2012 and Casey Duenas. Duenas? Duenas. 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 Casey Duenas 
walked out the field onto the field to start his doubleheader baseball game. And his parents, Mark and Karen, were side by side in the dugout as always. Casey says they were together since they were 17 years old. And Keith says they practically lived in each other's skin. Ew. Do people say that about us? Like you and I us? Yeah. I don't like it. They live in each other's skin. That sounds... I don't like it, especially when you whisper it like that. I know. It sounds like Buffalo Bill. (laughs) Let's move on. I don't like it. Karen and Mark came from Mormon families. They were high school sweethearts, and they now had five boys, Jason, Jacob, Tyler, Troy, and Casey. I like that they don't all have the same first letter, but it's kind of like they were doing something. They were doing two J's, and then they did two T's, and then with Casey, and then they never had a six. So they were like, that's it, Casey. You're by yourself. Yeah, it's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. The family was bursting with testosterone and they had football games inside the house. The parents encouraged them to be rough and tumble boys. It's a lot. It's a lot of boys. It's a lot of boys. In Reading, where that's a sport heavy. Central California is like sports, 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 sports. Yeah. Karen was a stay-at-home mom and then she taught at school when the kids got older. Mark got up at 2 a.m., to drive for UPS for decades so he could be available to coach his son's teams in the afternoons. That's kind of amazing because I sleep long. I don't want to do the math. But then he probably goes to bed very, very early. It's not like he goes to bed at 10 and wakes up at 2. Oliver gets up at 3.15. That's insane. Yeah, it's rough. But it gives me some insight into this episode, which we'll get to. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So to spare Karen a middle of the night disruption when he would have to get up, they slept in separate bedrooms for years. We're there. <laughs> <laughs> the part that Katie just mentioned, it has arrived more quickly than we were expecting it to. <laughs> Surprise. That sounds totally normal to me. Yeah, I kind of thought, okay, I could see that. Because sometimes... If I'm bebopping around the house, because he needs to go to sleep around nine o'clock. And if I know I'm going to be up really, really late, then I'll sleep on a couch or something else. And then when he gets up super early at three, I'll wake up and wander into the room. Does that make sense to like try to Mm -hmm. avoid? So them having this schedule for a long time, Oliver's schedule switches. So it's not always like that. But it makes, I think it's really easy to be like, oh, separate bedrooms. I don't think so. No, I actually thought it made sense. Makes totals. And they've been married for how long? 33 years. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Yeah. The parents say that Mark treated Karen like a queen and they still went on dates together and were very happy. Jason, one of the sons, got married and moved in next door. So it's literally this perfect family. Yeah. In their early 50s, Karen decided to go to nursing school. And so she was spending more time studying and away from the kids and the grandkids. Now we are on May the 4th. Casey went to his baseball game. His parents were there. And then afterwards, he went to a movie with his friends. The Avengers, we learned. When he came home, it was late and his parents were sleeping. And we're seeing this very strange B-roll that is kind of a reenactment, but there's no person there. The camera is the person and he's kind of walking it. It's all blue tinged and he's walking in the bedroom. Point of view. 
point of view. And then at one point, we see his perspective, Casey's perspective, where he sits up out of bed and his door opens. And this is to signify that he was woken up when his dad burst in his room. But in the reenactment, and it's all blue and hazy, the door just opens and there's no one there, like a ghost. It was very eerie and well done dateline. But the shadow, we just had an episode where a door opens and a laser comes into the room on a woman sleeping in bed in the dark of night. So it very much feels like that, right? No, it's literally, there's just no one there. Nothing. Because there are no people in this reenactment. So it's all symbolic. It's all symbolic to show that he was woken up by his dad saying something happened to mom. Go next door, get Jason, because Jason's a fireman. And Casey did what he was told. Mark calls 911. More on the 911 call later, I said with emphasis. <laughs> Jason goes over and he finds his mother lying in a pool of blood on the floor. And he tells this story about how he froze because he was kind of trained to give CPR, but he froze instead. And I thought it was very sad. And I think he should not feel badly, Jason. At all. Not at all. Please don't feel bad. This is incredibly difficult. No. And it wouldn't have made a difference because the EMTs arrive right after that and she is already gone. There is a massive gash in her chest and multiple stab wounds. Enter a young detective, Logan Stonehouse. That's a made-up detective name. And he had a few cases under his belt, but this would be his first homicide as lead detective. So what do we know about detectives where it's their first homicide? Overzealous? That's exactly what I was going to say. They come in guns a blazing. Yeah, badge a blazing. Badge a blazing and tunnel focus. On solving the case that gets complicated here. Logan walks in the house and he didn't know what he was walking into until he sees a picture hanging on the wall and he realizes he knows this family because he went to high school with the second oldest son, Jacob. I kind of feel like there was some backstory there and I kind of wanted to ask that question later on because there becomes like a clear rivalry between the detectives and the family. And did they not get along in high school? Was one bullying the other? What happened there? I have questions. Yeah. The police find footprints outside the house, walking away from the house into the brush. And so they think, oh, it was like a burglary. Someone ran away. The first patrolman on the scene saw a car racing away from the neighborhood as he was arriving. And neighbors reported seeing two strangers nearby that evening. Okay. Hoodlums. Teenagers. There's a window with the screen cut open. But inside, the place was intact. There were no drawers opened. There was no nothing missing. It doesn't appear to be a robbery. So they're very confused. So they're looking at the husband, Mark. He says he was at home the whole evening. He and Karen watched a movie together. We don't know what movie they watched, but we know the son went to the Avengers. I don't know why we get to find out one and not the other. I'm very curious about these things. Guesses? It's 2012. But they're watching it on TV. Back to the Future Part 2. Okay, that sounds right. I hope it wasn't the third one, the Western. So they watched a movie together. Karen went to bed. Mark stayed up for a little bit to watch some of the Giants game. So we know what they were watching. He was watching after. And then he went to bed. Mark was in his room, Karen in her room. I love the separate room thing. I'm still, I'm totally on board. I need my me time. I also need my beauty sleep, which is another reason that I love 
this separate bedrooms thing. It's the only way my skin looks this good. I'm just kidding. My sleep is garbage. My skin looks this good because of apostrophe. And so does yours. That's too kind. I love apostrophe. And look, it's February. We're all thinking about love is in the air. It's Valentine's Day month. We also in this month want to think how we can show appreciation for the people we love. But it's easy to forget to show yourself some love too. All I know is that what was supposed to be the most romantic day of my life, which was my wedding day, I had a horrible (laughs) outbreak. Really, really severe. And if it wasn't for my very good friends and my very good husband-to-be, it may have been that I didn't want to take any pictures that affected me that much that day. And we all know it's so easy to fixate on the negative, but it's important to focus on loving and taking care of yourself. And one of the best forms of self-love is taking care of your skin. It's the biggest organ in your body. So you can feel good on the inside as well as look good on the outside. And that's why we're excited about apostrophe. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin, whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear acne. Apostrophe connects you with a board-certified dermatologist who will create a personalized treatment plan that is perfectly tailored to your unique skin. All you have to do is fill out Apostrophe's online quiz about your skin goals and about your medical history. Then you snap a few selfies and your dermatologist will create your customized treatment plan. Apostrophe treats all kinds of acne, hormonal acne, facial acne, even chest knee, back knee, and butt knee. That's right. They treat breakouts from head Ooh. to toe. Ooh. Breakouts from head to toe. <laughs> I went to Apostrophe because I was desperate to have help trying to clear up my crazy hormonal adult cystic acne. And boy, did they ever help me. My skin is looking better today than it was literally 20 years ago. I'm not kidding. It's been such a great experience. It has been so nice to know that I have a real dermatologist and that the plan that I've been using was tailored to me. And if something isn't working, they're quick to switch it. I've switched my topical medication several times. If something was drying my skin out or I wasn't getting the texture-free results I wanted, they were great to help me with that. We have a special deal for our audience today if you're ready to try apostrophe. You can save $15 off your first visit with an apostrophe provider at apostrophe.com slash date date line when you use our code date date line. That's $15. And this code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash date date line, click begin visit, then use our code date date line at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. What are you waiting for? That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash date dateline. And use that code date dateline to get your dermatologist crafted treatment plan for just $5. Thank you so much, Apostrophe, for putting a period at the end of our skin troubles. (laughs) Apostrophe knows. Katie, let me tell you a very scary story. It was the other day. Not if you're going to whisper. (laughs) It was the other day. I had four errands to run. I knew it was going to take hours. After the first errand, I was exhausted because I don't have a strong constitution. I was starving because I hadn't carbo loaded that morning in preparation for my errands. I was about to just give up, go home, abandoning all of my other tasks in order to eat some chips in front of the TV. 
But then I was saved, not by Jesus, but by Monk Pack. I found a bar in my car. I ate it. And I was regenerated, rejuvenated, resomething innated enough to complete my errands and cross that finish line like a champion at the recent Olympics that I didn't watch a single second of. Monk pack bars. Heroes. Heroes. They make you into a hero. Monk pack bars taste delicious, but they only have one gram of sugar or less, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories, but they fill you up. They are so quick and they're portable. They're great if you're keto or trying to eat less carbs or less sugar, but they're also great if you just like things that taste good. I love the peanut butter dark chocolate ones because it's peanut butter and dark chocolate. But ever since Katie mentioned the coconut ones last time, that's what I've been craving. Yep. So I've been eating a lot of those because I'm very susceptible to cravings. I hear one word and I'm like, oh, I got to have that right now. They're so good. So good. I would get the variety pack so you can just pick the ones that you like. We have a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering the code date dateline at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. To get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com and select any product. Then enter code date dateline at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monkpack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. It'll help you win that gold medal. There we go. In Aaron running. Okay, so back to Mark's interrogation. He says, I'm in my room asleep. I hear a crazy noise. You know how cats sound? Yeah, this is at the police station, right? Yeah. You know how like a cat shrieking type noise? But it wasn't a cat. I was hearing weird screaming noises. So I got up and I didn't want whatever was going on to wake up my wife because, you know, I'm sensitive like that. That's a bad. eh, I was not happy. I was like, oh, buddy. You really maybe messed yourself up here because the minute, because I'm sensitive, like when people tell you that they're sensitive, they tell you that they're generous. Giant red flag, giant red flag. I went to the door by the kitchen. I opened it. I looked out and I didn't see any cat. Do cats when they're mating make noises like that? Or is a cat like being murdered? No, when they're fighting, when they're in heat, when there's a bunch of them talking and also I remember I heard a weird squealy thing one time and it was a raccoon and it was making, it was a baby raccoon making a weird noise. Aw, hey. So I'd never heard a noise. Yeah, it was really adorable, but it was a weird noise. So I'm assuming coyotes. Oh, okay. Now I feel really bad for whatever was screaming. No, no, it might just be horny. Yeah, it could just be horny. Horny cats. Is that the name of a band? Mm -hmm. So he goes, he checks, doesn't see any horny cats. He sees the light was on in Karen's room. So he opens the door and that's when he finds her. Oh boy. The timeline is a little strange because are we supposed to think that that cat noise was her being killed? And that's what the sound that was that woke him up? We are never given confirmation of that. I think that it could be her, but I think that he he's trying to tell him what woke him up is that he heard a weird sound. And then so he went outside to be like, get out of here. And then he went to check to make sure it didn't wake her up and saw that something was horribly wrong. So from his description, it sounds like it was 30 seconds. 
he would have seen the person leaving or heard the person leaving then? No, 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 no. The sound woke him up. The cats or whatever, the animal screaming outside woke him up. He went to be like, get out of here. Closes the door and is like, I'm going to check to see if it woke her. And so he like leans in the door to see what's going on with her and sees the horror. She could have been dead for two hours. So he's not saying that that noise was her screaming. No, but it sounds like it. I think that he's trying to figure it out, to be honest. I think it's something else outside that woke him up. And then he checked on her, saw that she was bloody. So he didn't wake up when his wife was being violently murdered, but he woke up because of a cat outside. He woke up because of some loud in heat animal, which Bruce wakes me up every single morning. So I understand. I would have to think she would have made more noise. But maybe not. I feel like she made no noise. If she was maybe killed instantly while she was sleeping. But that's not the prosecution's case. That is not. So, yeah, we're going to we're going to find out together as a family. So he's very calm telling this story, I will say. But his family says he was absolutely devastated. He was like crying and shaking. They thought he was having a heart attack. He was just a mess when he, they were doing the funeral. He was a mess from then on. Within a day, detectives announced there's no need to worry about someone stalking the town, even though everyone's on edge because there's someone killing people. But they say, no, no strangers killing people. And Keith says... Now, why would they say that? I love when Keith asks us questions. And I was like, I know, because they think it's Mark. That's why he said that. But you're the host, Keith. I don't want to do your job for you. Small town rumor mill says it's Mark. Mark it off your bingo cards. The family says there's absolutely no way it was him. Cut to Keith on the front lawn of the house at night. In the dark. In the dark. And... One hand is casually in his pocket. He's just standing with one hand, very sassy in his pocket. He's talking to the camera. And then did you notice what happened? I almost missed it too. But thanks to eagle-eyed Kate, who edits some of our episodes. She's married to Adam, who edits our other episodes. You didn't see what happened then. I don't know if I did. What happened? He's talking to the camera. A cat appears out of the bushes and then walks off camera. A cat. That same cat, maybe? Was it the cat, the horny cat? It was being quiet right now because it was in the presence of Keith Morrison. And most of us are quiet in the presence of Keith Morrison. But how weird is that? How Seriously, how weird is that? Who that cat? See that? Well, I don't know. I, oh boy. And it wasn't planned. Dateline did not have a cat wrangler and put that cat to walk across the shot. It literally crawled out in the darkness and then walked away. It is odd, too, because normally if a cat sees lights, they're not going to come out toward the light. They're going to be, I'm going to stay right where I am and I'll come out when it's dark again. Yeah. Who's that brazen kitty? I know. And what a coincidence. Interesting. I have questions. That cat's trying to tell us something. Is that cat the killer? No, that cat is trying to tell us something like, hey, assumptions, they make a you know what out of you and me. I'm here. I may have been noisy that night. Mm, That darn cat. Keith says 
Mark married his high school sweetheart. He had been married to her for 33 years. He never even had a traffic ticket, let alone a violent act on his record. They always say this about the killers. Never even had a traffic ticket. Do they, is that literal? He never had a traffic ticket? And he's in his 50s? Have you had a traffic ticket? Yeah. How many traffic tickets? Three. Oh, okay. Two or three. I've had parking tickets up the wazoo. That's not considered. That's not correct. You have to be pulled over. Just can't believe he's never had one and he's in his 50s. Okay, good for him. I guess it's just me. Sorry. He's a safe driver. He's just, yeah. My mom's never had one. What? She's a very safe driver and she's super defensive driver. Her dad was a driving instructor. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Okay. Mark said something to the police that does make them question his marriage. And Keith says, it was an odd little story. And I don't know how I felt about it. I felt like he was underplaying it. I think it was an interesting story. I don't think he's underplaying it. How I described it to my mom. We were listening to another like outside information on this case. It seemed like I see where if you were coming up against a situation like this, this is going to be terrible for you. But in actual real life, this is a blip. Right. In a 30-year marriage. Right. So let's get to what it was. So one day after work, a UPS coworker asked Mark, have you ever gone on Facebook? Mark says, I don't go on Facebook. Go, Mark. Team no Facebook. The coworker says, haven't you ever wondered what happened to the people you used to know? And Mark says he has wondered about this girl that he used to talk to way back when he was young. And the coworker finds this woman. She's living in Idaho. This coworker is like, here she is. This coworker is kind of a troublemaker, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Little bit of a pot stir, a little bit of an interloper, a little bit hinky. So... Mark reaches out to this Idahoan, I got it right the first time, Idaho lady. And as he describes it, gets a little carried away with texting here and there. So Keith interjects and says, carried away? That may be a little strong in this age of sexting and lurid electronic dalliances. Keith is mad in this episode at Botoxed people on their cell phones. He's pissed on the Instagrams. He's not having it. What he's trying to tell us in his Keith language is there were no Becky's protege pics or anything like that. It was not that lurid. But they did talk and they texted for several months and they even said, I love you sometimes. And then Keith says, was it a lurid affair? Well, judge for yourself. Again, love when Keith talks to us. Secondly, I will judge for myself, Keith. Thank you. Yes, this is an emotional affair and I don't approve. This is an emotional affair and it's going to be hurtful. But on the level of affair that we have seen on Dateline, it's a two out of 10 because this is not in any way, shape or form physical. Right. But we just spoke of this the other day and how emotional affairs can be way more painful and worse than a physical affair. Yeah, that is correct. I do stand by that. But I think there's a lot of stuff that's playing into this one. So Mark describes the innocent pictures that they sent as, quote, 
not like nasty porn. <laughs> Apparently, it really is like the far opposite of nasty porn. It really is. It's what do you look like now? And she sent him a picture of a quilt. I The quilt got me. Unless it's quilt porn. Is it quilt porn? Then it's not nothing bad. And she sent pictures of her grandkid. And so it was extremely tame. Is she Mormon too? She's religious. That is what we know from something later. They never saw each other in person. They felt like it wouldn't be respectful of their spouses and families. So they didn't. Good. Okay. Good job. But then Karen found out about it because she was going through their phone bill and she got very hurt when she found out. Absolutely. Yes, as she should. Mark promised he would stop. As he should. But guess what? He did not stop, as they rarely do. He bought a burner phone. That's where I lost you, Mark. I was trying to give you the benefit of the doubt, but you went out of your way to go buy a burner phone at Walmart. This feels like an addict to me. He hasn't felt this kind of like new relationship excitement, which is super addictive in a really long time. And so he tried to give it up, you know, and tried. And then as she went back to nursing school and that is a it's a big time commitment. Nursing school is intense, as anyone will tell you. Right. And so then he was just like, oh, I just need that. I just need that other contact. And this is a time when the kids are almost all out of the house. Casey's the only one left, right? So he's thinking that he and his wife are maybe going to have this different kind of life. And she's like, no, I'm going to this career that's going to be extremely time consuming. And so I think that this is a perfect storm, right? And I'm not saying he did the right thing by any means, but you see how this could happen. Yeah, I totally do. I'm sure it happens a lot, but it doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it okay. I'm so sorry if it seems like I'm excusing it. I'm just saying, I don't think this necessarily always means murder. Right. I see your point on that. There is a distinction there. It just usually on Dateline, when there's an affair, it leads to murder. Or if there's a murder, it leads backwards from an affair. I think that's why they're very careful on Dateline to not talk about this in the way they talk about other affairs, because they do talk about this very, very differently. Yeah. Keith seems to really think it was very innocent. And I don't know if that is maybe a generational thing, whereas an emotional affair might be not something that is explored as much as a traditional affair. Maybe my parents might think of an affair as only the physical, so they wouldn't be able to comprehend that people who had never met each other were having an affair. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So Keith seems to be more on team. This wasn't that bad in comparison. So that they are definitely talking about it like it's not that bad. And it's true. They had not met each other ever in person, but he was lying, then went further to get a phone. It's bad. So the Idaho woman mailed Karen a letter three months before the murder. This happened. The Idaho woman says, we don't know her name, says it was done. She stopped the relationship. She was asking Karen for forgiveness. So, of course, I froze on it and I read it. Nothing too juicy. It's a lot about God and her sins and how she was weak, how blessed she was that her husband is so amazing because he's been able to forgive her. And now they're closer than ever. And she is begging Karen for forgiveness. She doesn't know if Karen will ever give it to her, but she felt like she had to put it out there and ask for forgiveness. 
it's very nice. You can tell she feels really, really badly about it. And she doesn't in any way mention Mark or like a future with him together. It's done. So Karen told her kids about this situation and she was very upset about it for a while. But apparently they moved past it and their marriage was getting better than ever. Detectives think there's more to this and they confront Mark and they say, when did you find out that Karen was going to leave you? which they have no proof of this. And he says, never, she would never leave me. He insists he didn't do this. And the detective says, just like OJ, right? We need to be out there looking for the real killer. LAPD didn't have to go out and find the killers. What? It's so reeked of detectives trying to sound cool to me. Oh, yeah. Also, this is in 2012, It's way past OJ. So it's not even like this is a current event that's happening. This is a long time past that. So it sounds just like they're trying to sound really cool. It does. But first case, right? Referencing OJ. Yeah, first case. First big homicide case. Five months go by. It seems like the police's suspicions faded away. Keith says, but we know better, don't we? We do? He has talked to us now thrice. And I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I think he has things to say. It makes me feel like we're part of it. We are part of it. Why do you say we're not? We're part of it. Well, (laughs) it's true. I do feel a little bit like a dork sitting on my couch being like, yeah, Keith, I'm totally part of the murder investigation. Speak for yourself. (laughs) Some of us feel great about that. Pipe down. So on October 5th of 2012, Mark is arrested for first degree murder. The whole group. Mark's family and Karen's family says police have the wrong guy. The family hires an attorney who lives 600 miles away in Southern California, where the Botox and TMZ narcissism live, I guess, to work on the case. And what persuaded him to do a case that far away was that Karen's family was so on board and has Mark's back because that almost never happens. That's a big deal. We've barely seen it on Dateline. That's a really big deal. Yeah. I was happy about that. The trial begins and we see the mysterious texting woman from Idaho with her blurred out face taking the stand. She testifies that Mark had said something strange. He said, if we're meant to be together, then something bad would have to happen. That doesn't sound great because something bad did happen. If nothing bad had happened, it probably wouldn't sound that bad. I'm sorry. Do we have that on recording him saying that? Or is this just what the woman is telling us? Just what the woman is saying. Okay. I have a hard time with that one because this feels like you could be misremembering that sentence. Because if that sentence is a little bit different, if that sentence is, if we're meant to be together, it means a lot of bad stuff has happened. Yeah, no, I agree. It could be said in a way that's very innocent. Like if we're meant to be together, that would mean I would lose my wife and that would be terrible. Right. That means that something has gone horribly wrong. Or and you lost your spouse as well. Yes. Something bad has happened in our lives. Yeah. Because it basically means we're not going to end up together because we have these other two people who we're committed to. But it does not look good in front of a jury. All of this looks terrible. This is the most frustrating episode. Yeah. So sorry about that. No, but don't you think like a little bit? Because you're just kind of like, what's, ah, 
Yeah, it's very it's one of those wishy-washy episodes that we need to ask people, what do you think happened? And I'm not going to ask. <laughs> I just want to know. <laughs> so his motive would be, the prosecution says, kills Karen so he can be with the Idaho woman. And also he wouldn't have to share his pension with her if they got a divorce. And she was married also. Literally no correspondence of them talking about being together besides maybe him saying that weird thing one time. They're not planning it. There is no guarantee that if he kills his wife, she's going to be like, I'm done with you, husband. I'm going to be with this man. No, that's true. But we've seen people kill for dumber or lesser encouragement. Not this guy. Yeah, not uh, this guy, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. We've seen people on 90 Day Fiance do a lot more for a, with a lot less encouragement. I'm talking to you, Kim. Kim Bali. Your namesake. <laughs> My namesake. But he does seem like a quite rational person. But if you're a horny cat, you're a horny cat. Oh my goodness. But what's interesting about that or him being a horny cat, they had decided to not see each other in person. So couldn't have been that horny. The prosecution's theory is that Karen came at him that night, said, you know what? I want a divorce. This is over. And then he snapped and killed her. Enter some teenagers. No. I was right away like, not teens. Please, Katie and I, especially Katie, we can't take teens right now. Teenagers a few blocks away heard something that night. They thought they heard a scream between 10 and 11 p.m. Now we see a montage of the teenagers. One of them is crying a lot on the stand. Guilty of something. She made fun of Katie for not wearing makeup on the way to Wawa. I don't know what she did, but she is She's crying. I may be just overwhelming at being at a murder trial, but also I was like, this is not about you, honey. Stop crying. She's a teen. Everything's about her. She's a teen. That's a great point. You're so right. A pathologist testified that Karen could have been killed as early as 1030 p.m. or as late as 230 a.m., which is a pretty big window. That does not help us at all here. I know. The state says it was 1030. Trust us. That's when they heard the scream. At that time, Mark washed his clothes, slashed the window so it looked like a break-in, but he didn't open any drawers to make it look like a robbery. And he went to bed and waited for Casey. He wanted Casey to find Karen, which is, if true, very cruel. But Casey didn't find his mom, so Mark had to wake up and do the whole thing himself. Then they go back to the 911 call. They feel like it has a very incriminating piece of evidence. In fact, they think it has an actual confession in it. So they play the tape. It sounds like I something jumbled my wife. There's blood everywhere. And there's a bleep. It's bleeped out. So the state claims he's saying, I killed my wife. And then, as Keith says, a well-known barnyard expletive. What is a barnyard expletive? Is that a swear that chickens and pigs make? No, it's the poop expletive. The duty expletive. I'm in pig blank. Blank. Yeah. 
I think it is the chickens. The chickens are the ones walking around cursing. They're saying, don't eat me, you blankety blank. Try just egg. (laughs) Just egg is a cholesterol-free, plant-based egg that I've been using constantly. It makes the best breakfast burritos of all time, which I've been having like every day and not just for breakfast, like dinner all the middle of night, whenever. Everyone I know would eat more plant-based if they just knew how delicious it could be and how easy it could be. There's no messy shells and you don't get the gunk all over your hands. You just pour it and it's done. And they also make folded up ones that you can heat up in the toaster and that makes egg sandwiches. Come on. Just Egg has about the same protein as a chicken egg and less saturated fat. Plus, Just Egg is packed with cholesterol-lowering, polyunsaturated fat. Chickens are now cussing because they are pissed that Just Egg is so much better. Maybe. How was that? Just Egg. Oh, and because Just Egg comes from plants, you're also helping to save our planet, which you can casually mention to people at dinner parties and feel superior over them. What a beautiful time to be alive now that we have things like just egg. I, I would love that at a dinner party. Oh, does that have egg in it? Real egg or just egg? <laughs> oh, sorry. You're not into saving the planet, I guess. Commercial idea, just egg. <laughs> just egg, really good eggs. Katie, I've been thriving with my plant-based eggs. How are you thriving today? Well, first of all, I was highly insulted earlier when you suggested that I wasn't wearing makeup to the Wawa. I know. It's like, I don't even know you at all. What? When? No. When do you not even have it when you're not even leaving your apartment all the time? I saw on YouTube a beauty guru saying, I'm wearing makeup now, but I mean, I was just running around this weekend. I mean, if I'm not going out, I'm not wearing makeup. And I was like, huh, and you're a beauty guru. (laughs) I'm taking your job. It's ridiculous. And what I'm going to do when I'm a beauty guru is talk all about Thrive. Thrive is high performance beauty and skincare products that are made with clean skin loving ingredients. They don't have parabens, sulfates or phthalates. They are certified 100% vegan and cruelty free products. And cause is in the name of Thrive Cosmetics for a reason, because every purchase from Thrive Cosmetics supports organizations that help women thrive. And you know what's making my mom thrive is the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara, which is Thrive Cosmetics' best-selling product. It has over 15,000 five-star reviews. 15,000. That's insane. That's close to the number of iTunes reviews we have. No, it's not. Nice try. Okay. It is, but it is an unbelievable mascara. Well worth this bazillion star reviews. It's ultra lengthening. It's called an eye opening mascara because it just makes your eyes look big and wide and bright. And it lasts all day without clumping, smudging or flaking. It mimics the look of lash extensions, which we all know I'm real big into the lash extensions. And that's why it's called the liquid lash extensions mascara. It's beautiful. Also, it has ingredients that actually support longer, stronger and healthier looking lashes over time. So you're doing good for your lashes by wearing this mascara. It's unbelievable. Also, speaking of unbelievable, we need to talk about the Overnight Sensation Brightening Sleep Mask. It took me a minute with the Overnight Brightening Sleep Mask because I worry about my skin. 
So I don't know if something's going to break me out. This mask is fantastic. It doesn't break me out. It broke you out of a dull skin rut. Yes, it did. Add a girl. Ding, ding, ding. And prison. It is. <laughs> nope, nope, not yet. It is a potent skin loving formula that restores, hydrates and rejuvenates your skin overnight. If I get a bad night's sleep, like if I'm going to bed too late and I know the next day I'm going to look rough, if I put that on, it's like a cheat. The next day I wake up and my skin looks great. It's antioxidant packed. It's a spa inspired overnight mask. So it's like the kind of things that they use in fancy spas. It makes your skin smoother, brighter, and more hydrated. It's fantastic. Radiant skin is now just a night's sleep away or just a few hours if you have sleep troubles like me. It's great. I love it. Can't recommend it more. So Thrive's Bigger Than Beauty mission for every product you purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates to help women, whether that be women emerging from homelessness, surviving domestic abuse, fighting cancer, all women's causes. Thrive Cosmetics donates to help women thrive in their lives. And now's a great time to try Thrive Cosmetics for yourself. You can get 15% off your first order when you visit thrivecosmetics.com slash date dateline. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash date dateline for 15% off your first order. It's time to thrive. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much, Thrive. Keith seems to think, Keith, who's always thriving, seems to think that this 911 confession, in quotes, is kind of silly. So this would be when you used Hinky. He thinks it's Hinky. And he's telling the detective, so you're saying he killed her. He went through all this work to slash the window screen and cleaned up himself, but then just blurted out that he did it on the 911 call. Like he messed up that part. And they're like, yeah, the defense also thinks it's hinky or bunk. As Keith says, they hear I found my wife and the defense says the expletive was sick, not the barnyard expletive. They think it is, I found my wife sick. She'd have to be really sick because there's blood everywhere. Why can't it still be the barnyard expletive? I found my wife. Beep. Blank. It could be. It really could be. Sorry, you're going to tell me what you think it says, right? I don't know what I think it says. Is this a Yanni Laurel? It might be. Yanni, Yanni, Yanni. It might be. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google Yanni and Laurel. I'm sure everyone knows. It's a red dress or it's a white dress, blue dress situation. It's bad. Yeah. The defense says if he really confessed, wouldn't they just have arrested him that night instead of four months later? That just proves that they were not sure what he said on that call or they didn't even, the 911 person didn't write it down as he killed his wife. That's a real point. It is a point. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. Why wouldn't they just arrest him? They probably didn't hear the 911 call until later, I'm guessing. Why didn't they arrest him then when they heard it? Great point. They know they can't probably prove that that's what he's saying. So they have to get other evidence. The defense says the police failed to follow up on other leads. And there were lots of other leads. And usually there aren't other leads. 
There were. This town had been plagued with drug-related crime, and there were break-ins of drug people stealing things for money. And they feel like someone broke in. They were surprised by Karen. Maybe they didn't know that she slept in that room, or maybe she woke up, which doesn't really go with if she was silently killed while she... I don't really understand exactly how they think it would have happened. But... She they surprised her. They killed her and then they left without stealing anything because they freaked out. There was an unidentified car nearby the night of the murder. Another car speeding away that the cops saw and two strangers were seen in the neighborhood. There's also the trail of footprints that are leading away from the house into the woods. I'm sorry. I also got some outside information that there was fingerprints on the cut screen as well as fingerprints on the backlash at the gate. Interest, and they did not match Mark. They did not. So I would, I have questions. Yeah, there are very, a lot of questions. The defense puts on a woman on the stand who testified that Karen had told her that they were making plans for a bright future together. This woman, though, is standing next to a really hot cop. Really hot. Did anyone notice him? Just me. I missed him. So- I got distracted. Okay. So you did not take her seriously because of this? That's terrible. (laughs) No, I'm sure she's telling the truth, but I was more interested in hearing from the cop. But the defense says, look, he had a great relationship going with Karen. She even said so. Why would he kill her for a woman that he had never seen in person or not since for 30 years? He hadn't seen this woman. The jury goes out and something crazy happens. A female juror oversleeps. Was it Kimberly? I was scared. I was wondering if it was me. (laughs) I missed a very important appointment this week because I overslept through it. You did? It happens to me kind of regularly. It's the worst feeling to when you wake up and you know you've missed it. It's the kind of stress that like you feel in your whole body. That's why your stomach's upset, because it lasts for days. It's the most panic-inducing. I'm so sorry. I feel your pain. Yeah. So a female juror oversleeps. So she is replaced with an alternate juror. And yes, on such tiny wheels, fates turned. Nice job, Keith. I really like it. I mean, he said, yeah, I just like tiny things. I was excited. (laughs) I was excited about that. If it was bigger wheels, Katie would not have been as impressed. I would not have been excited, but because it was tiny wheels, I was like, oh, like little mouse wheels. (laughs) Fate's turned. You're picturing like a little, the hand of fate is like a a little tiny mouse and he's turning little wheels. A teeny tiny mouse turning a wheel, like a little white mouse going beep, 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 beep. Yeah. Several of the jurors, interestingly enough, spent careers dealing with the justice system, which is not normal, I don't think. We haven't seen that a lot. Three of the judges are interviewed by Keith. One of them is a retired chief probation officer and a former cop. He also has incredible white teeth. He was very surprised. Did you notice how his teeth? He did have very nice chompers. Wow. He was surprised by the case, but not in a good way. He thought, and he's a former police officer, he thought the police had done a terrible job in the investigation. And then we get our three-peat that you know I love. He says, terrible job. And Keith says, terrible job? And then the man goes, 
terrible job. Yep. So you know it's terrible. The jurors said they couldn't decide what Mark was saying on that phone call. They listened to it 20 times, probably as many times as Katie listened to it. I just gave up. Half said Yanni, half said Laurel. Half said. (laughs) I think honestly, okay. And I also listened to it on YouTube because every recording I kept hearing of it sounded slightly different. And I will say I came to the conclusion that the one they used in court was highly keyed up because the other ones I heard, you could barely understand what he was saying. Like he says his address. And then after that is when you hear him in the room with her. But that part is clear. The first part with this nonsense, I didn't even hear the barnyard expletive. Yeah. At all. Yeah, I could not understand. I gave up after a couple of times. So the jurors couldn't tell. They vote 10 to 2 for an acquittal. So they're close to proclaiming him not guilty. But the new alternate juror, he is stuck on guilty. He's like, he is guilty. He's going to have to prove that he's not guilty, which is not how the justice system works, my friend. That <laughs> is the opposite. He's a barnyard expletive. Yeah. And so he literally says, I'm going to hang this jury because he is unwilling to change. So the judge declares a mistrial. If that lady had not overslept, Mark would be off on this, most likely. I feel so bad for her. Yeah, she must feel badly. I really feel bad. Yeah. Maybe she took some too many melatonins or something and it just knocked her out. She was nervous about the next day. I know. I'm... Maybe she was given too many melatonins. <gasps> Case scandalique. Conspiracy. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Was it the cat? No. Stop trying to blame the cat. You're That's cruel. The family pleads to the state, do not recharge Mark. And we see at least like 16 people crammed together like this, like elbow to elbow in this tiny little hallway. And there are news reporters. And one woman says, you see, this is love. This is belief in this human being. Please listen to us. So they're like begging. We all unified do not want him retried. We don't think he did this. We are the family of the woman that died and we don't want him retried. But no, the county assigns a new prosecutor to the case, Stephanie Bridget. She has never lost a case before. Her secret? Preparation. H. No, she is very thorough. I don't know why I made that dumb joke. That's a weird joke. I was also listening to a podcast the other day that was discussing the JonBenet Ramsey case. And they were saying about that investigator that came in that was retired, that came out and did the documentary about they didn't do it, was the intruder theory. He was really big on the intruder theory. But he had never lost a case. And that sometimes doesn't look good because you should have a little bit of losing and winning. Otherwise, you're it could look suspicious. Right. I guess is what I'm saying. When you're a prosecutor, you have to do whatever your bosses tell you to do. You do. You have to try someone for murder, even if you don't 100% think they did it. That seems weird to me. But I guess if you're a defense attorney, you have to defend someone who you know is guilty. So 100%. So for trial two, they start right away with the phone call where he maybe says, I killed my wife, barnyard expletive. There's another statement from interrogation where they think Mark may have slipped up and they think it's kind of a 
quasi-confession. Yeah. This is also maybe a reach. So he's describing the cuts on his wife's body. And he says, it's like the guy knew what he was doing or something. The way he cut her. That's the only cut I saw. And there was tons of blood. But there was none coming out when I, whoever did, I don't know. So they think he was saying there was no blood coming out when I killed her. To me, it seems much more likely in the context that he's saying, when I found her, there was no blood coming out. Seems much more likely that he's saying there was no blood coming out when I tried to do CPR, but he didn't do the CPR the paramedics did. So he's trying to say, I did. No, they did. He did. There was another guy that did CPR, but he was standing there when it was happening. That makes sense. Okay, so when he says, when there was no none coming out when I, whoever did. Correct. I don't know. Yeah. It's CPR that he's talking about. I was frustrated because nobody says it. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense than what I said. But Keith doesn't say it either. He thinks founder. Yeah. And so I don't know if I'm right. Are we sure the paramedics did CPR? No. Because I thought they said she was dead on arrival and they maybe didn't. I don't know. They might have still done it if she was dead on arrival. They may have tried to push on her a little bit. I don't know. But I'm also thinking this was also in the interrogation the night of when he has to change his clothes and stuff, that interrogation. And I am thinking that your brain is going a million miles an hour. And so you're jumping topics as well. Yeah, absolutely. Also, he had been up for almost 24 hours. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because of his strange sleeping schedule and stuff. He had only slept a few hours that night and then they kept him there and they talked to him a bunch. So I don't know. Stephanie Bridget also used a testimony that wasn't used in the first trial, which is a criminalist who analyzed Mark's clothes and said they found blood invisible to the naked eye all over his clothes, on the front, on the back of his shirt, across his waistband, different places all over his shorts. And Keith asks, couldn't it be possible that he got the blood in all those places because he was moving and touching Karen after he found her? And Stephanie says, no, absolutely not. Why not? I don't know. She's very sure. The prosecution claims Mark washed off some of the blood, but not all of the blood. You can't kind of have it both ways. There should be blood maybe all over him, but there's only blood invisible to the naked eye. So that's why they say maybe he showered in his clothes. Because if he had washed them in the laundry, in the washing machine, there would not be the blood. But he rinsed it, maybe. She said he took a shower with his clothes on. With his clothes on, correct. Right, because that's, sure. Yeah, and then they present the possible murder weapon. When we say possible, oh boy. A knife found in the wrong slot in the kitchen butcher block. There is no blood on it, but the handle has a substance that could have been animal fat or some kind of cleaner. Does that seem, Kim, possible to you? I think everyone has a knife in their house with animal fat or cleaner on it, except for me, because I'm a vegetarian and I don't clean. <laughs> and I'm filthy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just a dirty, dirty person. They're not even saying it's the murder weapon. They're saying, well, all the, this shows that he has something in the house that could be the weapon. Everyone has something in their house that could be a weapon. 
it's a knife. It's not like a specific weed whacker that the person was killed with that they just happened to have. It's a knife. The X-9000 weed whacker extraordinaire. Everyone has a knife. I don't understand. This is an incredibly frustrating thing. I'm so angry about the knife. Why even point it out? It just makes you look worse to me. It makes you look so desperate. Like you're clutching it, clinging at straws. Clutching at straws? Clutching at straws. But it seems like the jury is kind of like, yeah, yeah, there is a weapon. It seems like a cheap trick, to be honest. You're trying to put a murder weapon in the jury's minds that's not real. It's cheating. Stephanie believes that Karen confronted Mark about the Idaho woman and they got into this confrontation about it. And as she's telling her theory of what happened, Keith is ramping up, like physically, mentally, emotionally, he's preparing himself for what's about to happen. So as she's telling the story, he leans back in his chair. He's like gearing up. Let's go. It's go time. It's go time. And then the flag, the checker flag is lifted and he just leans forward. It's like the starter pistol. Yeah, starter pistol, whatever. I don't know sports. And he says to Stephanie, do you have any idea beyond your own fevered imagination that that's what happened? You don't even have a clue. Fevered imagination. Also the name of my first novel. But seriously. You don't even have a clue. He gets really like high pitched. He does. He goes up three octaves because he's royally ticked at this moment. Yeah. Do you have any idea beyond your own fevered imagination? Fevered imagination. It's like a monologue from a play. Those are the words you hit. But also, that is so rude. (laughs) I've never seen him like that before. I've never seen him do. And I'm saying rude, like it's not like necessarily a bad thing, but it's very in your face. You're pulling the wool over these people's eyes. That He is mad about it. So he's mad about it. He is sweet flying F mad about it. Yes, he is. And I've not seen him. Usually he tries to stay a little more impartial, but he does not like Stephanie. Not today, Satan. Not today. He does not like Stephanie. And she says, All the evidence points to that. So yes, I do have a clue. And it's like daggers, daggers, daggers. But she can't even, you can't even come back from Keith Morrison being like, do you, nice try. I'm just going to say nice try, girl. So it's like we're watching a tennis match and it's like Venus Williams against me. Me, exactly. No, my my niece is starting tennis. It's her first season. She's on JV. It's like her versus Venus. Yeah. Not saying she's not good. I'm just saying she's new to the sport. Yeah. So she says all evidence points to that. So yes, I do have a clue. And Keith says, how does all evidence point to that? He's not letting go. Was he, did he not have a monk pack bar today? Is his glucose dropping a little low? I think he was just really, I think he was hoping that he was going to get some information here that was going to more solidify this poor guy's guilt. And what he got was a bunch of smoke and mirrors. So he's just done. Yeah. No, we're not. And he's just not in the mood. First of all, he's pissed at someone in LA. Right. Or multiple people in LA. Multiple, all of TMZ and narcissism. He's really angry. 
at Southern California, at the whole of Southern California from basically Victorville down. He's mad. And then she comes in with this cockamamie hinky story. Mm-hmm. He's buffaloed right now. No, she's not going to be buffaloed like the jury was. The jury's being buffaloed. He's not. Yeah. So she says, well, he was in a relationship with a lady in another state. And Keith says, let me stop you right there. There we go. Let's go, Keith. Let's go. He was doing what millions upon millions of Americans have been doing since Facebook started. He was talking to someone he hadn't seen in over 30 years. You can't really call that an affair, can you? And she says it becomes an affair when you don't tell your spouse about it. I kind of do agree with her on that point. Keith says, you believe he was obsessed with this woman? And she says, I believe he wanted a lot more out of that relationship than she did. That doesn't matter. He may have wanted or daydreamed more about that relationship than she did, but it doesn't mean anything. It just doesn't mean anything. Right. You don't have motive here. No. Keith has moved on to talking to the defense attorney who he likes a lot more. And he says this theory she has, is this just pure fiction? And the defense attorney says, well, she has a law degree. I don't think she has a psychology degree. And then off camera, Keith and him high fived. (laughs) That's what I imagine happened because they were like, yeah, she's crazy. Yeah. One of the sons says something very interesting, though, at this point. I do have to say we give a lot of heat to the family members that are in denial on this show who think their parent is innocent. And Keith says that people are just going to assume, you know, you're blinded and you're supporting your dad because he's your dad and you don't want to think he could do this. And the son says, life is so much harder protecting my dad. If he if we knew that he did it, we could know what happened that night. We wouldn't have any questions and we could move on with our lives. It's way harder supporting him. So I thought that was very interesting. I think that's very astute and important and not always the case, but definitely in this case, you can see that. The jury comes back guilty of first degree murder. Because she flim flammed them. (laughs) She's a flim flammer. She buffaloed them. She buffaloed them straight into a guilty verdict. Stephanie says she feels bad for the family because she knows they are not happy with this verdict, but she did the verdict for Karen. Don't give me that. Don't give me that. You have to do that. I mean, you do. You have to do it for the victim, even if other people don't support what you're doing, even if the family doesn't want you to be doing that. No, I I get it. But then don't make up stuff and use tricks. Don't come in. With your chickens in a with your chickens in a row, <laughs> have your evidence ready, and don't come in with the it could have been this knife. It could have been this knife right here. Yeah, it could have been any knife from any house on the street. That is so low. That's the one that got me. If she had done everything else but the knife, I think I would have been okay. But the knife was such a clear jury ploy, a mind game that it really just, I'm with Keith. I stand with Keith. Hashtag stand with Keith. Yes. Lean with Keith. There you go. Mark was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison and the family still supports him. They continue to think that drug addicts broke in for theft, were surprised by Karen and killed her and then sped off without stealing anything. It sounds crazy, but... A case like this is, how do I want to say this? 
how Sandra Melgar was convicted because they looked solely at her because she was the spouse and there were lots and lots of other possibilities, but they just didn't think someone random would break in and do this. And if you don't know what we're talking about, watch Unspeakable. That's the episode. And also please listen to Truth and Justice with Bob Ruff. Season six. It's amazing. He does a deep, 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 deep dive onto the case. We are friends with Sandra and Jim Melgar's daughter, Liz slash Fizz. Also, you can see our social media for ways to write to Sandy in prison. I just talked to Fizz yesterday and she said Sandy loves getting letters from our listeners and it just really brightens her day. So sorry, I'm just looking really quick. This is going to sound really shallow is it is one of those meth towns. Mm hmm. Just meaning the meth trade is high in the Central Valley of California. It's just high. And so I just, I don't think you can ignore that that's a possibility. I have another theory that I'm going to bring up, but I think that it sounds like such an excuse. But if you've lived in parts of California that have this kind of meth trade or you've lived around it. Parts of everywhere in the country that have these problems. They do crazy things. So just... It's not as wild as it sounds. People have been breaking in that town. It's not the first break-in in that town. Or in that neighborhood, right? And so also it's as crazy as her saying, it's the knife in the knife block with the animal fat on it. Right. So the family still supports him and they did sell the house. And Casey explains that Cottonwood was always the small town where nothing bad ever happened and then the worst thing happened. And then we see he and his brother playing baseball, but they no longer play for the local college where their parents watched side by side. Mm. I know it's very sad. B-roll Bonanza. Yes. We see images of the town that is far from Botox and... TMZ. We see people walking around stores. We see this bridge. We see a barn. We see a cow. We see cow B-roll. Mark it off your bingo cards. Yep. We see a lot of the baseball fields. We see American flag B-roll. I feel like I should add that to the bingo cards. Yeah. Go for it. All of the flip phone texting. So much flip phone. It took me right back to last year when my mom had a flip phone. You love a flip phone. I totally had a flip phone like that. I want to get you a flip phone. I love to flip phone. We get this quote from Keith where he says, time is measured in units of pain during this time in Cottonwood. But oddly enough, which is beautiful, but it's not paired with this other B-roll shot of the cute little clock tower, which made me think of a- Back to the future. Back to the future. But it's like much smaller. It's like a quaint little small town downtown clock. We're seeing a huge tree, but I thought they should have put the clock when he's talking about time. That's the tree I was talking about. That's the cottonwood tree. They show it at that moment. And I thought that was, it was a beautiful shot of that tree though. It's one of the only B-roll things I wrote down because I was like, that's stunning. And also that quote is, that's beautiful, Keith. Mm -hmm. That's masterful writing. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything else that I missed in B-roll Bonanza? No, just the baseball diamond. It was very typical. It looked like someplace I'd seen. They all look like that there. <laughs> the stands, everything. I think they all look like that everywhere. Have you been to a lot of baseball games, high school baseball games? I know you've been to softball games, but have you been to a lot of high school baseball games? Did you ever go? No, but I went to my brother's little league games. Yeah. 
I don't know. I always just thought baseball was not football games and things like that were very intimidating to go to like cool kids or whatever. Mean teens. Baseball never felt like that. I was just wondering if it was just me. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Let us know in the comments. Let me know. If my high school had had a hockey team, I feel like that would have been great. I would love to watch a hockey game. I've never (laughs) seen a hockey game in real life. Okay, can I tell my theory or is it not time for that? Sure, go for it. I think that we needed a little more time with Casey because I think that they broke into that house. I think that the motive was different. I think they broke in the wrong room. To rob Casey? Maybe. To kill Casey? No, I think they might have been going to rob him, get something out of his backpack. Maybe he smoked some weed. Maybe he had made a big purchase or something. that He had something that someone wanted. I don't know. Is this from that podcast or the outside info? Or are you just out pulling this? I'm. This is my own theory. Interesting. No, everything that I heard in the podcast, the most interesting thing was hearing the 911 call. The fingerprints was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. But I don't know if that's 100% true. So I don't know. I have, that's only heard it in one place. But I wish the police had looked more in, instead of just focusing so solely, right, on Mark. I feel like it would have been really nice to be like, okay, they broke into that into the backyard, very specifically, into a back room. Also, her room, I'm wondering if somebody messed up and they said, no, it's the back bedroom on the left. It's the left window and they broke in the right because somebody has that disease where you don't know it, <laughs> right, right from left. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen a, f- a floor plan of the house because then we could have seen where was Casey's room? Was Casey on the other side in the back? Do you think there's a chance I mean, I do because he's a teenager and he might have done something totally unintentionally Mm -hmm. that made someone think that they could break in there. They were not a wealthy family. Like he said, they always just had enough to get by. So they didn't have a lot of showy things. Which is why I think it's drugs. And I'm not saying that Casey was, but I'm saying what if there was a rumor that he was? And the family brings that up a couple times. The family could be protecting Casey. I don't think so. Sorry. And if any of the families listening, I'm not blaming Casey. I'm trying to come up with a theory for why someone was breaking in the house that night. Right. Someone maybe thought Casey had drugs. But could it be as simple as they went into the wrong house too? 100% because they were tweaking and they were confused and they went into the wrong house. Yeah. If they were tweaking, they could be in the wrong city. Correct. They did actually mean to be in Lamore, California. And they were, yeah. And that is a very niche joke for people that live in the Central Valley of California. What, what? (laughs) I feel like if the intruder thing is correct and Mark did not do this, there's a bunch of things that needed to be looked into. And why wasn't the screen fingerprinted? Why do we not hear what was on the screen? No, but you said they did. And there was somebody else's fingerprints on it. Right. There were fingerprints. But why don't we know what those are? Why weren't they tested? Oh, well, I'm assuming they did test them and they didn't match anybody in the system. And so does that mean they don't have to release that to the defense? Did the defense use that in trial? Seems like a big one. Maybe. Dateline just cut it out. I don't know. Also, I was a little bit mad at Ron Powell, who's the defense attorney, because he said that a big reason that they did so bad in that second trial was because they knew his case, right? Right. Then change your case. Right. If you know that's going to happen and you're going, I would love to talk to a defense attorney and see what do you do if you 
have a second trial. You have a mistrial and then you have a second trial. How much do you try to adjust for now knowing that the prosecution knows? Well, in his mind, they were 10 to 2 for acquittal. So he felt like we almost won last time. Let's go with the horse that brought us here. But then wouldn't you see that they had changed the prosecutor and know that she had never lost a case and been like, oh, we might need to bring in some ringers, figure something out, hire an expert, anything. You see what I'm saying, right? And then I would have put every single member of her family on the stand. Every single member. Yes, to say how great he was and how much they loved each other. Yeah. And I would have cross-examined that Idaho woman really hard. Or Idaho, sorry. Maybe they did. So you think he did not do it? No, not necessarily. But I am leaning more towards he did not. I am 60-40 that he didn't do it. Interesting. I'm not that high. Yeah. Because I know it's usually the husband and I get it, but this one didn't fit for me. And I'll tell you what really got me was when he's doing the 911 call and that second part when he's like, there's blood, there's blood, there's just blood everywhere. There's blood everywhere. And you can hear it in his voice. You can hear he doesn't know what's going on. And the woman says, are you in the room with her? And he's, yes, I'm, yeah. And then she asks him again, are you in the room with her? And he says, yes. And he's like, I can't figure it. I don't know where it's coming from. He's like, no, no, it's here. There's a gash on her chest. That is a full discovery. I don't think you can fake that kind of discovery. He is finding that gash to figure out where the blood is coming from. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what really tipped me in the 911 call. Not the stupid Yanni Laurel we can't hear. What I was focused on mainly is, oh, oh, I found it. Don't you feel like that'd be really hard to do? Yeah. I I don't think a person who was doing that convincing of a job would also blurt out, I killed my wife. I don't think he did say that. So those two don't go away, just go together for me. I don't think he did say it. Yeah, I don't know if he did it. I'm like pretty split on this. The most time it sounded like I killed my wife is what I heard on Dateline. Every other time, it's almost unintelligible. It's, I don't know, my wife, literally that bad. Yeah. What do you guys think? Please let us know. Please tell us. And it's okay if you don't agree with me. Well, you don't even agree with yourself. You're 60-40. I am 60-40 because also I am still a friend of Kimberly and friends of Kimberly don't believe in coincidences. (laughs) So I try to be smart and say, look, this seems tricky. Yeah, I think it's very tricky. And I think there's a ton of reasonable doubt. So I could not have voted him guilty. I don't think I could have convicted either, and but I don't know. I mean, again, the, she sounds like she put on a real case, right? Yeah. She did not with Keith, though. So if Keith Morrison had been on that jury or even on the stand, he could have taken her down. Maybe they should have put Keith Morrison on the stand. You don't even have a clue! It's fevered imagination. He's hot. He's fevered. Uh-huh. Real quick, I do have one fashion police. Did you have any fashion? Yeah. Lester Holt, not wearing a vest. That's it. (laughs) Oh, that's it. Great minds think like he's wearing a woolen turtleneck and a velvet blazer. What are we doing? Yeah. It's a ribbed turtleneck. Ribbed. And it's ribbed for 
Lester Holt fans can't get my words out because I'm all a flutter. It's ribbed for our pleasure. Go ahead. Yep. Yeah, it's ribbed for our pleasure. And it did look like to be a velvet blazer. It did, or a corduroy, but I think it was velvet. Yeah, it was something else. I'm not, he looks like a 70s rocker dressed up because they're going on The Tonight Show. It is one of my favorite looks. Do you know that? Really? Well, I love velvet blazers. Clearly, that's what everyone wore at my nuptials. But I do, I am also very much into turtlenecks right now. Interesting. I've just never seen him in anything like that before. He looked great. Sassy. Yeah. Oh, he looks good in everything, but yeah. He looked like he was going to a fancy restaurant in New York, right? Yeah. 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 Titles, mine are all bad. I'm just going to say that right now. I have one. Okay. It's probably better than all of mine, though. It's not. Let's go. Maybe we'll come up with one together. Maybe this is one of those days. Okay. That darn cat. All right. I already said it. Avenging a murder. They were going to see the Avenger. What? Why are you calling from? Why are you pulling from that? I really had nothing. Your brain fascinates me. The Facebook fantasy. How about a Facebook affair to remember? There we go. Much better. Take me out to the ball game. I was trying to get somewhere with that. Okay. Couldn't do it. Delivering a verdict because he worked for UPS. Yeah, because he's a UPS. Yep. There we go. And then I tried to get there with somewhere with UPS. And so I looked up what was their tagline and it used to be what can brown do for you i was very uncomfortable i don't like that i don't really know why i don't like it i know why it makes me think of poop i think we all know why or it sounds racist it sounds super racist so it's either one of those two reasons why i think it makes me uncomfortable so i was trying to get there somewhere with that but i couldn't do it i can see why it's hard what can brown do for you what can barnyard excrement do for you? <laughs> Is that what he called it? Barnyard expletive. Okay. Expletive. Yeah. Why didn't you do that as a title? I don't know. That would have been a good one. <laughs> All right. My only title is Yanni killed Laurel. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's as far as I got because that was his thing. I killed my wife. Yanni killed Laurel. <laughs> And people are only going to get that joke if you know, but I'm glad I'm bringing awareness to it so it can drive you as crazy as it drove me. I don't think anyone's not aware of that. Maybe Joni. Joni has no idea what we're talking about. Joni, I'm curious if you hear Yanni or Laurel specifically. I'll show her that and I'll show her the dress, the blue and white and the gold whatever dress. You've shown her the dress because when you and I were losing our minds over it, you showed your parents. Oh, really? Okay. And Bob made a comment. A snarky one. I think he said he saw green and something. He was being ornery. Yeah, that sounds like him. It was very funny. Thank you so much for listening. Before we go, Stephanie, but a better Stephanie than this Stephanie in this episode. Good Stephanie. Stephanie Wilder Taylor. She has a podcast with Lynette Carolla that we did a swap years ago, like one of the first we ever did. That show's called For Crying Out Loud. Yes, yes. Do you remember this? We, like forever ago. Of course I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. But right now we are talking about Stephanie and Angel Lakita Moore's podcast, and it's called Rose Pricks. And it is basically what we do with Dateline, but they when they do about The Bachelor. So they say they relentlessly mock the dodo birds of The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and Bachelor in Paradise. They call it a roast, a bachelor roast. We try to be a little bit nicer to Dateline because we're friends with Dateline. 
We are very nice to Dateline. We are not kind on people that murder other people, but we voraciously defend people who may be wrongfully imprisoned. Yes, we do. That sounds hilarious. It's hilarious. They are so like lovely and funny and have great banter. And I don't really watch The Bachelor, but anytime I tune in, I'm like, this is crazier than any Dateline I've ever seen. I think it's like one of those shows like Love Island. There's a reason people talk about it. It's insane. So everyone, please, please check out Rose Pricks if you aren't already. If you're a Bachelor fan, you probably already are. But I think it's a really fun show to listen to, even if you're not watching, because maybe you want to save yourself from watching and you just want to listen to two funny ladies talking about it. I think that sounds more delightful. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So check out Rose Pricks, everybody, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening. 